Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of realeverything.com. I'm all about loving the skin you're in and being healthy inside and out. And I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne of thepaleomom.com. I believe that scientific literacy is the key to improving public health. Welcome back to The Whole View, episode 430. I'm just going to apologize in advance for how long this show will be (laughs) and how very, very deep the science is going to go. But I will assure you, we do get to a point at the end. And I don't know this because it hasn't happened yet, but there are show notes, so I'm confident, where we break it down simply for you and give you simple recommendations. (laughs) But um, one of the things that I love about our show, and hopefully listeners, you love our show as well, is that we like to empower you with information to make your own decisions. And um, we always put the science first. And sometimes we have to admit that we may have been wrong previously. And if we're going to say that, we're going to do all the research that we can possibly do so that recommendations or information going forward sets us all up for success so that we can be right and that you can feel confident with information. So um, that's what we're doing this week, all about collagen, which listeners, you may not know this if you're newer here, but those OG listeners know that my original like paleo name in the community was the bone broth lady um yeah that's old school old school I am you know like bone broth heels was a hashtag I started Mm -hmm. it's a it's a whole thing and I have talked about how much better my body feels as a result of collagen gelatin and bone broth probably as often as we talk about vegetables Um, I have medical conditions, blah, blah, blah. I'm not, we're not going to get into that, but I will say as a result of that, um, it, it has caused quite an effect that a brand that both Sarah and I used to use has changed their formula and caused us to kind of relook at everything as we evaluate what is best for us, right? Yeah, I mean, I think because we used that brand for so long um, and recommended it, when they changed their formula, I know my inbox was um, flooded is only a slight exaggeration with questions about like, is this still okay? And um, as I started in on that research, you know, realizing that... um, a couple of the ingredients that were as one ingredient in particular that was added to the formula is most often wheat or soy derived. And I was unable to get an answer from the company about like what, you know, where, where does this ingredient come from? And meanwhile, Stacey, I know that you were starting to hear reports from people who hadn't noticed um, because the packaging all looked the same. It's not like it said new and improved on, on the label. Um, and we're starting to get reports of, of people having reactions to it. And um, my mother was one of them. So my mother was trying to figure out what the, you know, she was all of a sudden getting incredible joint pain and she's celiac. So, you know, a, a trace amount of gluten is a real problem for her. And um, 
you know, we were talking about it and I sort of realized that in the craziness that is 2020, um, we had never talked about, oh, did you see the formula change? And um, as soon as she discontinued, uh, it was about a week for her joint pain to resolve. So it was like really obvious um, that it's not, it's not just um, that the formula changed and it's not necessarily a supplement that is going to be as effective or, or any of that type of calculus. It's that um, we have reason to um, at least question whether or not there are trace amounts of problematic compounds now because of the addition of new ingredients and we're not getting the answers that would help us really determine whether or not this is a supplement that we can take. And so as a result of, right, so many questions from uh, listeners and readers and, uh, and our, you know, our, our selfishly ourselves and wanting to, to figure out, you know, the supplement that we've been taking for so long, I started digging into the research to try to find um, an alternative. And it was one of those like down the rabbit hole experiences for me, because as I dug into the research, you know, one of the things that's, that's sort of happened in, in recent years is the, the collagen market has just boomed. Um, it's not just, you know, in the olden days, there was like gelatin and collagen peptides and homemade bone broth. And that was, that was the extent of the options. And you could find, um, one that was made with like grass-fed beef hides, or you could find one that was just sort of made, you know, all-purpose, you know, byproducts of the meat industry. And you'd go, yep, I'm going to choose the grass-fed one. Like it was a, it was a sort of a simple calculus. Um, As the market has boomed, the technology has also changed. Um, The variety of products out there has expanded dramatically. We went from spending in America about $50 million on collagen supplements in 2014 to right now we're on track to spend closing in on $300 million in 2020. And the market is expected to be a $7.5 billion global market by 2027. Um, it's just like it's, it's, it's exploded. And one of the results of that is the range of manufacturing processes is really wide. Um, They're all considered proprietary processes. So finding out how an individual brand actually isolates their collagen is getting more complicated. And one of the things that I, um, you know, I discovered in this research, I found a a really excellent um, sort of review article just published last year that that looked at all of the different manufacturing processes and how they've changed over the last decade. And it's, it's now, right. It's, it's become a industrial scale process. And because it's become an industrial scale process, there is the opportunity. This isn't to say that all collagen supplements are like this. There's the opportunity to introduce chemicals that I work really hard to eliminate my exposure to in all other areas of my life. And so discovering this, it really felt like opening a giant can of worms. And so we're going to, we're going to go into all of this science, right? Um, what the actual science is behind the marketing claims of collagen, uh, food sources versus supplements, um, 
the some of the myths around right the digestibility of different types of collagen supplements. We're gonna we're gonna talk about the manufacturing processes um, and sort of where the where the points of introducing um, potential problematic sort of chemicals may be, so that you know the questions to ask the the brand that you may be taking. Um, we're gonna talk about some of the really like not cool ingredients that are making their way onto labels. And then we're also going to talk about like where we have landed. But before we get into all of that sort of dense, dense science, um, we are really, really pleased to have this show be sponsored by Paleo Valley. Paleo Valley makes a bone broth protein that is 100% grass-fed beef bones that are slow simmered for a long time, just like I would make at home, that are then gently dehydrated and powdered. Um, And it is by far, I mean, we'll get, we'll get there at the end, but it's, you know, the, the cleanest uh, collagen supplement that I've been able to find. um, And I absolutely love it. But Paleo Valley has lots of really wonderful products and our listeners can save uh, 15% off their purchase if they go to paleovalley.com slash whole view. And if you go through that link, the 15% off will be automatically applied. But if you forget that, you can also just use the coupon code thewholeview15 and still get 15% off. I also think that it makes a wonderful, like, unctuous add to different soups and stews and sauces that you might be making. So I think we're yes. going to ask you to kind of rethink how you supplement um, with this show. And I have often talked about how I only enjoy coffee now if it has collagen because that's how I've been <laughs> taking it for so long. Um, but there's lots of different ways that you can add collagen, gelatin, and bone broth into your life. And we're going to talk about that. I I also want to just say one of the things that I did when I was researching really early on and picking a brand years and years ago before the changes you just mentioned, Sarah, is I looked at the amino acid profile and Mm -hmm. all of that kind of stuff. And it didn't occur to me why and how collagen would be something that could dissolve in cold water. (laughs) And I think that's kind of, you know, as we listeners dive into this science, I sometimes we're going to go deep and, you know, we might lose you, but just kind of remember that ultimately the goal and the information is the same. And I think if you remember that this is a This is from the bones of an animal, which is a hard, very hard object. I don't know. What are we calling it? Ingredient? (laughs) It's a thing, right? It it does give structure to the animal. Right. Um, That you're trying now to put this as something you're stirring into, you know, iced coffee and expecting it to dissolve. Like there's, there's not magic right? Somebody has to make that happen. And um, the idea of how that happens is was the most kind of fascinating and interesting part, I think, for, I won't speak for you, but for me, and I know it was kind of surprising and mind-blowing for Sarah, she was doing the research as yeah, well. I was going to say, fascinating seems like too kind of a word. Okay. Um, yeah, it was alarming, actually, for me. And, you know, not all are created equal, which is why we're thankful that 
Paleo Valley, a brand that we can get behind, is sponsoring our show today. And I'm, I'm ready. I will. I, I just also want to tell listeners, you're going to go to pa- Paleo Valley's website and you're not going to find collagen peptides. And we're going to get to that as well. And mm-hmm. so just hang with us or skip to the end, whatever you're into. <laughs> Okay, I'm gonna. I I want to try to break this down. You know, the unfortunate part of communicating in an audio medium is I can't have visual aids. This is the type of scientific topic that would lend itself very, very well to a visual presentation. Um, so, in the absence of that, um, let me let me just do the best that I can, and we'll start with just like what is collagen? Um, like, why might we think it would be good to consume it? So collagen is actually the most abundant protein in our bodies. It accounts for approximately 30% of all of our proteins. And the job that it does is it acts both as a structural protein, um, so think things like bones, but it also acts as a um, glue, right? So it acts as uh, a protein that holds things together. So it is the main building block of connective and interstitial tissues, those are like glue, right? They're the things that hold our, you know, hold our cells together, hold our organs in place, right? Those types of tissues. Um, It's the main building block of bone, of cartilage, of ligaments, of tendons, of skin. It's abundant in muscle. It's abundant in blood vessels. It's abundant in our cornea and our teeth. Um, And actually there is a role for collagen in every tissue in the human body um, because even the glue that's holding cells together includes collagen. Um, so it is a phenomenally important protein. There are currently 29 different types of collagen that are encoded by at least 46 genes. And that's because collagen is actually made out of um, three, they're called alpha chains. So think uh, a simple protein. Uh, so it is you know, something like, on average, about a thousand amino acids long, but it can vary between like 600 and 3000. So we have three of these chains and they can be three of the same alpha chain, or it can be three different alpha chains. Or it can be two of one kind and one of another. That's how 46 genes can make 29 proteins. Um, and they tend to wind around each other and twist around each other in what's called a triple helix. So think of DNA as a double helix. There's two strands that wind around each other. This is just adding a third strand. It is um, very similar to how you might twist uh, a rope, right? So you you have a strand um, that's made out of, right, a rope made out of strands and they're all twisted together. Um, it's actually even more analogous to rope because those three alpha chains twist together and form a molecule that's called procollagen, um, which then binds with other procollagen molecules to form these big structures. And those, what structure it actually makes, these sort of big structures, is dependent on the alpha chains that are, right, the ingredients, the the genes that are encoding these alpha chains, right? So what are the ingredient alpha chains that go into this collagen? Um, But it's also controlled by, um, you know, adjacent cellular elements, other molecules that might be included. So there's a lot of different things that might 
impact how these um, little tiny bits of rope basically assemble um, and form this really huge diversity of structures. Collagen can make things that are like ropes. They're called fibrils. It can make things that are like sheets. Um, it can make, you know, like little, it can make um, uh, sort of all of these different types of branched type structures. And what's really fascinating is that most of the collagen rich tissues in our body, um, most of the collagen in our body is actually type one collagen. Um, collagen was basically um, it, it all has a Roman numeral and it's basically been given a Roman numeral in the order of discovery. The first one discovered was type one. And the reason why it was discovered first is because 90% of our collagen is type one. It was the easiest one to find because it was most of our collagen. Um, other collagen types tend to integrate and affect the biomechanical properties as well as the structure. So for example, when you assemble collagen together into these like complex structures, that how they assemble and the, the exact blend of other types of collagen mixed in with type one, that provides the tensile strength and the shock absorption properties of bone, the load bearing properties of tendons and ligaments, but also the elasticity that skin has. And it generally determines the tensile strength of all connective tissues. So it's, it's actually a really, it, it's a really fascinating uh, molecule because what all of these collagens have in common is basically a glycine amino acid, every third amino acid down the alpha chains. Um, and what separates different alpha chains is, um, there can be like little breaks in the glycine pattern, um, but it's mainly what separates the alpha chains is what those other two molecules are. The most common are proline and hydroxyproline, but you can have a variety of other, uh, you know, glutamic acid, arginine are really common in there, right? So we've got some other amino acids that commonly find their way into that alpha chain. And it's actually this repeating pattern of glycines, every third amino acid, um, that creates molecular bonds across glycines in that triple helix structure that form these really tight bonds that are what actually allow collagen to have both this amazing strength, but also flexibility. And that is the biomechanical properties that make collagen such a useful structural protein and useful glue in so many tissues in the human body. I am not surprised. Um, I think what um, is kind of interesting to me as I've learned more is how these different aspects can, for example, support digestion. I got a little like um, blushy, uncomfortable, weird why do I behave this way when you talked about it, like holding our organs in? Like why the <laughs> fact that we have organs skeezes me out? I don't know. Anyway, um, but I know that we also talked about, for example, like the type two collagen supplement when we were talking about my back pain on episode mm -hmm. 282, right? Like that was kind of a mind-blowing discovery for me in terms of like, oh, there's <laughs> more than one doing more than one thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, type uh, two is actually a really important collagen type in cartilage. 
Um, and what's really interesting is, you know, we're going to talk about this um, in a little bit, but basically when you consume collagen, it is digested. And so what you're actually consuming is being absorbed as very, very small um, peptides, dipeptides, tripeptides mostly, um, and individual amino acids. So really what you're consuming, and this is true for most foods, right? What ends up getting into your body is the building blocks that your body needs to make tissues. And so when we um, consume collagen, we're consuming the building blocks to make our own collagen. The type 2 collagen supplement that we talked about on that show is interesting in the sense that it's um, a whole food source of type 2. And it's not necessarily that since you needed type 2 collagen to be repaired, consuming type 2 was the right way to go. Um, it actually, there's no science showing that if you consume different types of collagen that they have a different impact on your on your body. So there are claims about like multi-collagens, how you want to have type 1, 2, 5, and 10, right? And there's actually, there's not a one-to-one -one ratio. If I consume this type of collagen, my body makes this type of collagen. But what makes type 2 collagen from whole food sources really uh, helpful for something like a back injury or joint um, problems is that it's actually a natural food source of glucosamine chondroitin, which is a supplement that has been well shown um, to improve joint health and be, you know, helpful in a variety of different osteoarthritis and, and conditions like that. So um, there are some some places where we sort of um, the marketing claims are simplified to the point where the science that's being communicated is no longer accurate. Um, so I think it's really important to kind of go through the marketing claims because it's, it's true that a breakdown in our collagen is associated with a whole pile of different health problems. And, um, we stop making collagen as well, but we can also have a degradation of existing collagen structures through normal aging, chronic inflammation, chronic stress, nutritional deficiencies, uh, as well as things like in response to UV radiation. That's why sun exposure can be damaging to skin. Um, various pollutants like smoking can cause the um, decrease in collagen production and degradation of collagen structure. And this has like really strong health implications. So um, it's not just that this is what eventually causes wrinkles, um, but the degradation of collagen is what leads to osteopenia and osteoporosis. It's what leads to osteoarthritis. It has a major um, sort of mechanistic contri contribution to cardiovascular disease. Uh, you can also get decreased organ function, including heart, lung, and kidneys. These are all things that are sort of like, oh, you know, it happens with aging. We actually are really able to to measure how collagen formation decreases with age and how that is directly contributing to these problems and a loss of or some an interference with collagen production or loss of collagen structure earlier in life can lead to these health problems earlier in life. So it's not just aging. I mean, chronic inflammation and chronic stress, I feel like um, it's the 
it's the theme of this podcast, right? Like it's um, dealing with um, changing our diets and lifestyle, right? To address nutritional deficiencies. Um, these are underlying all chronic illnesses. And part of the mechanism here now we understand is via collagen formation. I think one of the things that's been helpful for me too is, you know, the more that I can improve my digestion, for example, the more I'm able to absorb of other nutrients, which is Mm -hmm. another thing that, you know, was important for me, but also that there are nutrients that specifically support collagen synthesis in your body. So making sure that you're not deficient in vitamin C, for example, which we talked about, um, the chlorine show, I think it was 360 when we were talking about yep. swimming and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. The other two nutrients that are really important for collagen synthesis are copper and zinc. Um, and what's really interesting about vitamin C is actually, it's surprising that it is a common nutritional deficiency. Um, I think we think of water-soluble vitamins, vitamin C is in everything. We think of, of it as being so easy to get. And yet vitamin C is one of the nutrients we tend to burn through when we're stressed. Magnesium is the other. And so, um, you know, really focusing on food sources of vitamin C can be very, very beneficial for collagen synthesis. And zinc, you know, zinc's the one that I always remember. 73% of Americans don't consume enough zinc. And that number always sticks in my brain because it's crazy. It's crazy to think that basically three quarters of us are zinc deficient um, when zinc is so foundational, right? It is um, the, uh, it is a immune regulator. It, um, I, I mean, it, is involved in so many different enzyme reactions. Um, it is part of the structure of the vitamin D receptor. So vitamin D can't do its job if we're zinc deficient. Like zinc is, is a really, really important mineral. And here we go. Here's another reason why zinc is really important is that it is a cofactor in the production of collagen. So, um, so thanks for bringing that up, Stacey, because I think it's easy to get focused on raw materials, but when we take a step back and think about the biochemistry, um, anytime the body is building something, there is both the raw materials needed for the thing it's building, but there's also then the builders, right? The builders themselves are made out of nutrients um, and nutrients will get used up in driving those chemical reactions to build the thing. Um, so that's where vitamin C and copper and zinc really come into play. I know we've talked about collagen for skin health a ton mm-hmm. on this show. I'm curious, I've been seeing a lot of products, as you mentioned, the market is growing, Yeah. Um, that are topical products that have collagen in them. And I just don't see how that application could be as effective given what we know about how collagen works. Um, yeah. You have thoughts yeah. on that? Um, so the, there is some, there are some interesting studies showing that topically applied collagen can help with wound healing. So it's been used in uh, sort of burn victims and things. And that's because as a wound is healing, uh, collagen is actually used in like three out of four of the steps of, of wound healing. Um, and so if you can apply collagen, you're basically creating, it's like creating roadways for the new cells to come through. And that's kind of like how collagen, um, that's the job, one of the jobs that it has in, in healing a wound. Um, so there's that science, but actually, you know, there's been so much science done on 
um, collagen for skin health that there's actually like these, these big, like this, that's the one area where there's, there's big, um, systematic review articles and the science on topically applied collagen is not there. Um, the science on, uh, oral collagen for skin health is actually like really impressive. Did you, did you know that somebody over their eighties has only about a third of the collagen in their skin as a young, like 20 year old? Um, which is, I don't want to lose all my collagen. That's a lot of collagen to lose. Um, so there's been a variety of studies that show that consuming collagen actually, right. And again, it's sort of like you're consuming the raw materials, um, can actually increase collagen in the skin. And that is why you see like these improvements to visible signs of aging. But I, I think it's really important to, um, not get so wrapped up in the, um, the physical appearance claims, the vanity claims with collagen, because in addition to like supporting wound healing, and there have been studies showing that oral collagen can help, uh, with wound healing as well. It was one of the supplements that I took, uh, when I had a third degree burn a few years ago. Um, and I know my, my, uh, burn specialist doctor wanted to take complete (laughs) credit for uh, my lack of scarring, but I am sure that it was all of the liver and bone broth that I was consuming during that time, and I'm going to stick to that. Um, but it's also been shown in studies to improve bone health. There's been actually a lot of studies in osteoarthritis that have actually even shown that it can improve measures of cartilage quality. Um, so it's not just that it stops the degradation of of cartilage, that it actually can help support um, reforming the cartilage, which is super, super cool. Um, there have been studies um, even with joint health looking at um, a sort of athletic athlete injuries, showing that um, collagen can help joint health in that scenario as well. And it can help in generalized joint pain. Um, there's been studies showing that it can help increase muscle mass. Most of those studies are done in the elderly. So it's done in either the, the context of men with sarcopenia, which is a major, you know, loss of muscle mass associated with age that increases risk of like falling and other, you know, bad, things. Um, so it's either done in, in sort of that context or in postmenopausal women. And studies have shown that those people tend to um, put on more muscle and they actually convert fat into muscle, which is very cool because the only thing happening to, in those studies is the increase of a collagen supplement. So those that's a whole crazy cool area. Um, there's also some really good studies looking at bone density. Um, these are done typically in postmenopausal women who are at higher risk for osteopenia and osteoporosis. And studies show, again, that collagen supplementation, most of these studies combine collagen with vitamin D and calcium. Um, so collagen acts as a, um, as a scaffold for mineral deposition inside the bones. Um, and so these studies are sort of taking this, you know, important regulator of calcium absorption and calcium and collagen and combining all of those. Um, but showing if you just did the calcium and vitamin D, 
by themselves, you don't get the same effect as when you add collagen. So you can say, look, collagen does, does great things. And there's even some emerging evidence. There's not the uh, breadth of, of studies that I would like to see, but there's even some emerging evidence that collagen supplementation can decrease uh, cardiovascular disease, improve vascular health. So there's some other places where researchers are starting to look at. Um, and really the, the, the studies that have gone into the mechanisms on like, why, why does this work? Um, the main mechanism is basically that the amino acids that are rich in collagen, glycine in particular, is it's a conditionally indispensable amino acid, which means that we can make our own, but we, in most cases enough to meet our needs. And so it's a stress when we don't consume enough. And it's an amino acid that we tend not to get enough of if the only thing we're consuming is muscle meat. So the food sources of collagen, we've already talked about bone broth and bone broth basically is like collagen dissolved into liquid, but other food sources would be like organ meat or any kind of like eating anything with a lot of connective tissue. So think like pot roasts or chicken wings, um, anything where you're eating off of a joint um, is going to be a good food source of collagen. And those are tend to be foods that have not, they've kind of fallen out of favor in Western societies over the last hundred years. They used to be common, you know, Sunday pot roast, um, you know, make, make, broth out of the chicken carcass, you know, these used to be normal processes that every family went through and they aren't anymore. And so one of the reasons why collagen supplements are beneficial is it's basically filling a nutritional need that the standard American diet is not meeting. Um, But there's another sort of mechanism that's really interesting. And that is that um, when we consume collagen, it is broken down and it's mostly absorbed as single amino acids, but there are some dipeptides, which are little, little tiny itty bitty proteins made up of just two amino acids and tripeptides, which are made out of three amino acids. Um, and they can be absorbed directly as well. So we, when we're digesting protein, most of the protein that when we absorb it, we've already broken it down into individual amino acids, but we can absorb up to uh, quadrupeptides, so up to itty bitty tiny pieces of four amino acids long, and um, these little tiny peptides can have biological activity. And it turns out that some of the peptides that are in collagen that we, you know, digest, even if you're consuming a whole food source of collagen, it's a predictable um, end product of digestion, especially when you have like a proline and a hydroxyproline. Um, connected together. That's one that's been sort of well studied. These um, peptides actually trigger the increase in synthesis of collagen. So that's something that is very, very cool. They also increase the activity of cells that produce collagen and increase the synthesis of hyaluronic acid, which is really important in um, collagen-rich tissues, especially like joint tissues. So there's these two ways that we know that collagen can actually, consuming collagen can actually help our body make better and more collagen. Um, one is just, here's the easy raw materials you don't have to work for. Thank you very, very much. That's awesome. Um, and then the other one is this like signaling effect where when we're consuming 
collagen, we get these um, biologically active, very, very tiny peptides that can actually um, tell the body, hey, <laughs> this would be a great idea right now. Let's do that. That's great. And the body goes, yo, okay. When you were talking, all I could think of was like when you get a rotisserie chicken from the grocery store mm -hmm. and it has like that jello underneath oh, of it. Oh, yum. Mm -hmm. And my kids used to be like, oh, it's so gross and slimy. <laughs> like, that's the good stuff. Like, make sure you put that. When I'm reheating mine, I like spoon it over top. And then that way I'm eating it, right? So when I think of collagen, gelatin, bone broth, that's what we're going for. Yeah. It's like that that jiggle. Um, and it's not that it's gross or it's slimy. It's that it's going back to its solid state um, which makes sense for my point earlier, right? Like we're taking uh -huh. a solid and we're turning it into a liquid. And um, when it's in a gelatinous form, um, that's that's what you get. I'm sure there's some chemistry term for that. And my brother-in-law, who is a chemistry teacher, would be super disappointed yeah. that I forgot the name for when something is not a liquid but not a solid. Um, it's it's it, it. So this is okay. This is super cool. It's a thing. It's, it's totally cool. a word. Oh, yeah. I forget. It's okay. We're going we're gonna to talk some of the science of what's happening there. So um, I'm really excited to talk about this because I think this is super cool. So have you ever like made a homemade bone broth and you had, you're like, okay, I'm going to make like a three or four day broth here because I've got these like perfect, I've got all these chicken feet. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be the richest broth. And Which, by the way, if, if that's what you want to do, go listen to episode 313 where we talk about why you would make a four-day broth. I know people are like, what? I put mine on for an hour. Just trust us. Go for it, yeah. Sarah. Explain to them. Okay. So have you, uh, has this ever happened to you where you like had like such great starting materials, you know, it's going to be a super amazing broth. So you decide, um, I normally do about a 36 hour broth at home. Um, but every once in a while, if I've got something really good, I'm gonna, like, I'm going to, I'm going to do this one for like four days. And then it doesn't gel as well as you thought it would. And you're like, you think you failed. Has that ever happened? Well, maybe for Matt. <laughs> he's the broth maker in the family. So, and oftentimes what that comes down to is me criticizing his broth and him not being happy. <laughs> okay. So here's what's actually happening there. So um, collagen, like the collagen that's in your body, that like raw, think raw collagen. It's also called native collagen. It starts to denature at 40 degrees Celsius. Um, boiling point is a hundred degrees Celsius. So denaturing basically means that all of those cool structures that collagen makes starts to unravel and the natural like kinks in the protein structure start to straighten out. And collagen actually is fully denatured at just 60 degrees, which think, um, just below a simmer is sort of like, or right at a simmer is sort of 60 degrees Celsius. And the longer collagen is held at that temperature. So first it unravels. And then if you're boiling bones, it starts to hydrolyze, which basically means the, the actual, those alpha chains that we talked about start to break in half or in thirds or in quarters. Um, and the longer you simmer, um, that collagen, the more it's going to hydrolyze, the more it's going to break apart. And it's not going to break apart into like super tiny peptides. It's going to break apart into polypeptides. They're probably going to be uh, like at least like a hundred, couple hundred 
Um, amino acids long is sort of like the length that you would expect for a really long simmered broth. But what happens when you do a short broth um, that has a lot that is rich in collagen is it doesn't break apart quite as much. And then as it cools, all those collagen alpha chains spontaneously reassemble, which is awesome. And but they don't, right? Because it's spontaneous, it's not driven anymore by the, you know, the adjacent cells or the other um, molecules in the matrix. They uh, spontaneously reassemble without structure, which is how what gelatin is. That is the the you know gelatin at the bottom of the rotisserie chicken package. Um, and if you so do... it's like the Terminator when he's in liquid form, yes. and then you know he he calls his little liquids back, and he becomes this term- Terminator too. Oh, yeah, Terminator two. So it's only Terminator two. We got to make sure that we don't. I'm sure there with. were subsequent Terminators that also did that, but not on oh, no. almost certainly, but not right. not the original Terminator. Yeah. Um, we will refrain now from Arnold Schwarzenegger impressions. So, um, so when you do a really long broth, it can be super rich in collagen. And there've been studies that have actually like measured broth, homemade broth made following different recipes with different types of bones and measured the amount of collagen that's in them. And if you're using a really good, like beef marrow bones or chicken feet or fish heads, if you're using a source like that, that's super rich in collagen and they're simmered for at least, you know, studies basically show 72 hours is sort of like optimal to, um, actually extract the most collagen they can, they can have in a cup of broth, like this, the same, uh, sort of supplement amounts that are seen in all these studies, like 20 grams of protein in a cup of broth, but it might, if you've simmered it for, 72 or 96 hours, it might not gel like gelatin when it's cold, even though it has a similar amount of protein. And that's because the protein has been hydrolyzed more, which I, this is one thing I just think is pretty cool. I think it is cool too. And it explains like a lot of people saying, I do this and it's not, and it, Mm -hmm. you know, it sounds like what it is, correct me if I'm wrong, is like the temperature that you're cooking it at for simmering is affecting that, right? It's the, it's, you- the, it's the temperature and the length of time. So the yeah. hotter it is, the more it'll break apart. And the longer you simmer it for, the more it'll break apart. But good news is you're basically just like pre-digesting. Your body is going to digest it the same. So... um there's a whole pile of myths around collagen peptides versus like gelatin or homemade bone broth about collagen peptides being like way more digestible. That's actually not true. Um, raw collagen, if you were just going to gnaw on a raw chicken wing, which is not my favorite thing to do, um, that is only about 71% digestible if you suppress stomach acid, but your stomach acid actually can unravel the proteins and makes it 95% digestible anyways. And any kind of form of denatured collagen. So as soon as you cook it, uh, it's like 98.8% digestible, which by the way, is more digestible than meat. So um, it doesn't need to be hydrolyzed. It doesn't need to be sort of pre-broken apart for it to be digestible. And so that's one of the big myths, I think, around um, collagen peptides um, is that 
you know, somehow it's, it's better absorbed into the body or that it's, um, it's going to be, uh, you know, more easily digestible. And there's even been studies that, um, so there's actually a really interesting study. They took healthy young men, they gave them a 15 gram, either uh, a gelatin supplement, uh, which is only partially hydrolyzed, kind of like bone broth, um, because it's just those types of um, collagen-rich tissues boiled, although the industrial process involves a lot of steps, and we'll get into that, um, or a like collagen peptide-type supplement, and um, or they gave them a mix of both. And then they had them like jump rope for six minutes, which is a pretty, I mean, if you if you've ever jumped rope six minutes as an eternity and, um, and it, that drives collagen synthesis. And then they measured in their blood markers of collagen synthesis. So they measured how much of the different amino acids were in there. They measured how much pro collagen was being formed in the blood and basically showed that it didn't matter. So if they consumed gelatin, which is uh, the protein is basically broken apart similarly to bone broth. Um, or if they, uh, consumed this like collagen peptide type supplement, Either way, they had a, about a 20% boost in collagen synthesis in their body, and it didn't matter. And that's because, you know, collagen by itself is highly digestible. Um, the the only way collagen would be not highly digestible is if you were taking like like palmfuls of antacids and consuming raw collagen. That's not a good situation. But as soon as either you have stomach acid or the collagen is cooked, you're good to go. I have so many things to unravel. Um, but I <laughs> want to start with the fact that I once won a jump rope competition in elementary school. So maybe that's where I used up all my collagen. <laughs> <laughs> now I am where I am. No. Um, yeah, I think um, another thing that really kind of occurred to me as you were talking about the digestibility is that this is why when uh, people often do elimination diets like the GAPS diets, they have you start on a broth mm -hmm. because for the majority of people who are experiencing digestive distress of some kind, broth is like the fundamental um, basic thing that almost no one has an issue with. And I know that sometimes people with histamines find that they maybe don't react well. And that's a whole other thing altogether. But we've had a histamine show, go check it out. Um, but I, I just want to like point out the digestibility of bone broth being, what did you say, almost 99%? Yes, 98.8. Um, that's incredible. And to compare that to, for example, a vegan diet where, you know, Sarah and I love vegetables. Like mm -hmm. we'll talk about them all day long, but the digestibility of fruits and vegetables, especially raw, if you're talking about a raw vegan diet, I don't know that percent, but I do know that it's a lot lower yeah. than 98.8%. I mean, plant proteins in general, um, like let, let's compare apples to apples. <laughs> See what I did there? Um and compare plant protein to animal protein. Um, in general, fish protein is sort of like the, the highest digestibility, followed by land animal protein, followed distantly by plant proteins, and it varies dramatically. So, what it, it's basically what we're trying to measure when we measure digestibility is how compatible are those protein structures with our 
uh, digestive enzymes and how our digestive enzymes work. So there's certain strings of amino acids um, and the way that they bond that are um, protein digesting enzymes have a really hard time breaking apart those molecular bonds. Our gut bacteria have some protein digesting capabilities. So sometimes when we can't consume a protein, it becomes a good food source for our gut bacteria. Um, but the way that um, researchers actually measure this is they basically measure um, the amino acids going in and what comes out the other end. Um, and they're, where you de define the other end varies. So sometimes it's just the other end of the ileum, which is the second, the small intestine is sort of broken up into three parts. Um, so at the end of the ileum uh, is uh, at the end of the small intestine before the large intestines, before gut, gut bacteria get to it, or it can be measured in feces. So it's after our gut bacteria have done their contribution as well. Um, but that is basically how they're measuring digestibility, right? So they look at um, like how much you consumed and uh, how much didn't make it into your body and came out the other end. Um, and so plant proteins are just generally not as compatible. And they they range from sort of being like 40%. If you said uh, something perfectly, you know, some often egg whites are, are set as 100%. Something has to be called 100%. Um, fish protein is actually better than eggs. So there's, there's certain things that are even better than... 100% and it's just because that that it's like IQ right sort of set kind of arbitrarily it's here um and that's why you know there can be IQs higher than 100 it's sort of a similar type of measurement um but some plants can be as low as like 40% like 0.4 compared to a 1 um and it's uh reflects that there's a fundamental incompatibility between the structure of those proteins and our protease abilities. Okay. Are we ready to talk about non-food sources? Yeah. I um, Let's talk about exactly how supplemental collagen is made. Because I think, you know, we've sort of already introduced the idea that if you, if you boil collagen-rich tissues – you denature the collagen, you break those molecules apart a little bit, and you basically dissolve them into water. And like when gelat gelatin actually was a form of glue in ancient Rome, which is like super cool. Um, and gelatin used to be made um, up until like the mid 1800s by, and they would be made for, you know, fancy dishes, right? Aspects and things like that in kitchens. Um, they, it would be made just by taking, you know, the the feet or some other part of the butchered animal that is very rich in collagen and not going to be consumed in another way, boiled for a long time, and then um, the that would be left to to cool and sit, and then the fat would be skimmed off the top. So pretty much, it would have just been like a really rich broth is how gelatin used to be made. Um, the industrial process has um, changed over the last sort of hundred, 150 years. But, um, nowadays, um, factories that make to be, uh, quite close to abattoirs, um, they get all of the byproducts of the meat industry. So that would include hides and bones and other tissues. Um, and they, 
they go through um, a very sort of industrial process to make gelatin. So uh, first, all of those tissues are chopped. Um, then they're washed, typically under high pressure. That washing step can include um, some pretty harsh solvents. Um, they're then soaked, um, which begins to sort of like release. They're soaked in high temperature for 30 minutes. Um, they, they are then um, basically that sort of starts the release. Um, rinsed. And then they're typically either soaked, most often they're soaked in an acid solution. Um, sometimes they're soaked in an alkaline solution and that for five days and that demineralizes, disinfects and releases the collagen. Um, so solvents, uh, things like hexane and chloroform methane, which are really harsh and not okay, um, can be used in that initial washing step or that initial soaking demineralizing step. Um, in the five-day-long acid soak, um, it can be something like acetic acid, which is the you know acid and vinegar, but it can also be hydrochloric acid. Um, if it's an alkaline solution, um, it can be something like sodium hydroxide, which is lye, um, or it can be something like potassium carbonate. So there's a variety of like harshnesses of chemicals that can be used in these processes. Um, then typically uh, it's neutralized. So then it's if it's an acid, it's neutralized with an alkaline. If it's an alkaline, it's neutralized with an acid. Then it goes to these large extractors, which like boil the, you know, at this point it's kind of like slime in distilled water. And then there's like a tube that runs off that like draws off the liquid that now contains the gelatin, which is then sterilized. Um, it's then filtered. The filtering is typically mechanical. So it's, it goes through a frame filter, activated carbon filters. So that's like a, a normal, nothing to worry about filtration process typically. Um, and that filtration will deodorize, decolor, decolorize and purify. And then that gelatin containing liquid will then get, go to evaporators, which will evaporate off the water and then, you know, gelatin, when you buy gelatin, it can be as a sheet, it can be as powder, it can be as granules. So then it'll go to, it'll get pressed in sheets and then it'll be potentially ground into a powder. And so, you know, what's interesting about this process um, is things are optimized to extract the most gelatin possible from the raw materials. And in that optimization, and especially in the changes in manufacturing that have happened in the last you know, few decades with gelatin, um, there has been the introduction of, in some cases, not it's, this is not across the board, in some cases, um, there has been the introduction of um, some harsher chemicals in the process. And it is, um, it is interesting to me that uh, it's not possible to find an organic gelatin. Um, even though we have organic meats, presumably there is enough raw materials to have organic gelatin factories. Um, and it may be because a lot of the chemicals that uh, I just mentioned um, would not allow for um, a USDA organic label. I do think that's interesting. I also think that there are so many different ways to make it yeah and including which steps are included and if they do a step 
whether or not they're using a harsh chemical or one that would more similarly identify with something we would use in our own kitchen, like lemon juice or apple cider vinegar to, to release the same thing in a broth. Yeah. You know, so um, for me, when we first discovered that the brand we were using had introduced changes um, in, in, in its ingredients, it also started this whole oh, well, we need to kind of back up a little bit because even before we get to the ingredients that are disclosed, there's a whole bunch of things that are not disclosed. So I just, I want to highlight, we're going to talk about ingredients that you will see on a label. And, um, but these things that Sarah is describing in the steps would not be disclosed on a label because it's part of, quote unquote, the the bones. The this is just the base to get to um, the the gelatin. We're not even yeah. like at the collagen peptide step yet, right? Like right. this is this is just for that's just for gelatin. Um, gelatin, which is as a reminder for hot water and will create a solid when cooled. So when you're adding something, for example, to coffee, whether or not you want it to not become a solid when it cools, or if you want it to dissolve in cold water instead of hot water, you have to go even more steps to get to a collagen peptide. And what we've learned overall, what I just want to kind of reiterate are two things. One, not all are created equal, which is why we've asked Paleo Valley to be our sponsor this week because it's one that I know especially Sarah has vetted and Mm -hmm. um, really looked into and I'm heartbroken they don't have a collagen peptide but Sarah's going to kind of explain why they don't have a collagen peptide Um, and the second thing is that these ingredients that you might want to be avoiding, these harsh chemicals, um, or for example, when uh, Sarah's going to talk about kind of like a powder finish, what might be in that powder are not going to be disclosed on the label as an ingredient. So um, I personally went out to a brand to ask these questions because there's absolutely no way of knowing otherwise. And um, it's just, it's super unfortunate that that's the way that our system works in terms of what is disclosed and what is not as disclosed but that's why we want you to understand the process and understand what to look for and ask about and all that kind of stuff yeah I I've done the same thing with a couple of brands and I mean to the point where I've had to sign an NDA in order to get answers to my questions so um you know this is we'll, we'll talk about questions to ask and I think one of the things that you know, if this show does anything, I, I think I want it to alert our listeners to, um, you know, some of the, some of the products that are being marketed to our community are, um, taking advantage of our health consciousness and our goals to market something for us that right again, like the science does show consuming more collagen has lots of great health benefits. Right. Um, and so I, I feel like, uh, we're being taken advantage of in terms of our priorities a little bit, um, to sell us products without the transparency that we deserve. And, um, and that's going to be really apparent when I talk about the extra steps that make collagen peptides. So, um, as Stacy just mentioned, um, the benefit to collagen peptides as a 
supplement compared to uh, gelatin, or as we'll talk about in a little bit, bone broth protein, um, is that it dissolves in cold water. Um, so you can sort of stir it into cold water. The reason why it does that is because it goes through an additional step. So basically after uh, that acid or alkaline step, sometimes if it's an acid step, they can be merged together. Um, the uh, gelatin basically is mixed with enzymes that start breaking apart, basically pre-digesting the, the collagen that's, that's in there. Um, the enzymes that are used themselves tend to be enzymes that are either normal enzymes, right? Papain, which, you know, a normal enzyme in papaya, bromelain, a normal enzyme in, in pineapple, or there are things like pepsin, it's just produced in our stomach, or alpha-chymotrypsin and trypsin, which are produced by our pancreas, right? So there, there tend to be normal enzymes that, um, you know, would be enzymes that would be in our bodies. Um, so the the enzymes themselves are are not necessarily um, uh, not necessarily something to worry about. But again, um, it's really tough to find out what enzymes are being used in that process. And they're often done concurrently with an acid treatment, which like the most common combination is acetic acid. Again, that's the, the acid and vinegar and pepsin. That's the, the um, protein digesting enzyme produced by, uh, that is in our stomach acid, right? Um, that's the most common, um, but it, it's, it's a proprietary process. And so it's, it's very difficult to, to get that information about exactly what, what's happening at that point. Then after what's, it's called enzymatic hydrolysis. So it's again, breaking apart these molecules in the presence of water, but the actual breaking, the actual chemical bond is being broken by an enzyme. Then it goes through the same sort of filtering, concentrating, drying, and grinding as gelatin. Um, it's, I think, helpful to understand that there is a wide range of different processes. They're not all concerning. Um, we'll have a link in the show notes, and I've already written all of this information into a really detailed blog post, actually, with more details and some visual aids. So if you want to go read that, we'll put a link to both that um, my detailed article in the show notes, but also um, the 2019 review paper on the manufacturing of collagen peptides that I mentioned earlier. We'll put a link to that paper um, in the show notes as well so that you can go and have a look at it. Um, the, it's really, I think, important to understand that the only advantage collagen peptides offer compared to a food source of collagen, right, compared to bone broth, is that ability to stir into cold water. And the trade-off for that is an opaque manufacturing process that may or may not include um, chemicals that are don't need to be disclosed on the label in their, in their process. Um, and for me, as and especially how industrial this process has gotten in the last decade, that for me was enough to go, okay, nope, we're changing. We're, we're switching gears. Um, and that's, that's where I've landed. I think for me, it's been super difficult to look at this and know how much I have come to love collagen in my coffee and that 
after researching and changing brands that I still feel good. So for me, I, you know, we'll talk about where, I, where we've each landed later because there's more things to consider, um, including other additives that you mm-hmm. can find in, in collagens. Um, I think one of the things that um, would be really helpful for me is if maybe we could talk a little bit about um, marine collagen, which you've mentioned, which just to kind of clarify for people, that just means, you know, fish-based collagen. Um, And then also like bone broth protein is a new term that we're kind of introducing. You know, what what is that and how do we get there and how does it function? Uh, Excellent. Yes. So um, different, you can use different source materials to make a collagen supplement. So marine collagen typically uses fish scales um, to make collagen. Um, you'll also see, right. So a normal collagen peptides, um, the most common that you'll see marketed to our community are made with like grass fed beef hides, but they can also be made with pig hides. Um, if you see a multi-collagen supplement that will usually say that it has bovine hide, it'll call it hydrolyzed bovine hide collagen. That's the same thing as collagen peptides. It'll say that it has like egg me- membrane collagen, hydrolyzed fish collagen. That's also the same thing as marine collagen. Um, and then they might also contain bone broth protein. They might call it hydrolyzed bone broth protein. So stick a pin in that. The The main difference between um, collagens from different sources is there'll be a little bit of a shift in the amino acids that you're getting. Um, I remember a while back, Um, marine collagen being promoted as being way higher in glycine. Um, It's actually really um, variable brand to brand. So I went and had a look at some major brands and compared their bovine hide collagen to their marine collagen and did the math on like what percent is glycine. So in one brand, their marine collagen was 24.1% glycine, um, which was more than their bovine hide collagen, which is only 20.7% glycine. Um, another brand was complete opposite. So the marine collagen was 22.7% glycine and their bovine hide collagen was higher at 23.3% glycine. So, um, if, you know, glycine is a very valuable amino acid, it, um, it is right. It's involved in the immune system. It can improve, you know, gut barrier health. It is the, the, again, about a third of our collagen is glycine. Um, if glycine is like your main reason for taking a collagen supplement, um, you're just gonna have to read some labels. Um, there's not a like rule that marine collagen is way better than bovine collagen. But one of the things that I think, um, there's this myth about collagen peptides that they're really tiny peptides, that they're like tripeptides. They're not, they're actually, um, they're actually polypeptides. So they're not even, it's actually, it's, it's actually not calling it the right thing to call them collagen peptides. They're actually polypeptides. So they're longer chains of, uh, amino acids. So like 20 to hundred amino acids long is sort of typical. And that's really important from an allergy perspective. So, um, I, I remember, um, being told, um, by an influencer that, uh, oh yeah, collagen peptides don't cause allergies because they're peptides. Um, you only need about 15 to 20 amino acids long, um, to bind with an antibody. So if you're allergic or have a food sensitivity to beef, 
um, you are going to have, you're highly likely anyways, to have a reaction to collagen peptides derived from beef, like bovine hide. Um, and so another reason to choose marine collagen would be if you had an allergy to beef or pork and not to fish and the other way around. And it's because it's, again, it's sort of like this, this misnomer because of the way collagen peptides are labeled, um, that we think that it must be such small peptides that, um, they're going to be too small to actually bind with antibodies. And that's not true. They're actually the perfect length to, to, bind with antibodies. Um, and that is why uh, an allergy to the source material can still have an allergy to this, you know, highly processed supplement. Um, so marine collagen, again, like that, I, th I would say given how much more expensive it tends to be, they're about the, they're about similar in terms of sustainability, um, from bovine hide collagen. Like all of these are basically made using, um, byproducts from the industry. So in terms of sustainability, it's pretty comparable. Um, the main reason I think would be an, an allergy to, to beef or pork that would be, and not to fish, that would be a good argument for choosing fish. And then again, with multi collagen, um, you're paying for all these fancy collagens, your, your body digests it at least around 99%. Um, there's no science showing that collagen from one source acts any differently than collagen from another source when you consume it, with the exception of, like we already talked about, you know, a food source of type 2 that's not heavily processed is also going to contain some other molecules like glucosamine chondroitin. That's sort of like a different situation when we're talking about supplements. When we're just comparing collagens to collagens, um, there's not a, there's not an argument in the scientific literature for why bovine would be better than porcine would be better than marine. Um, and when it comes to bone broth protein, you know, if, if you're reading a label and, and we're going to talk about reading labels, like reading labels is really important. If the bone broth protein says it's hydrolyzed, that's, uh, that's a sneaky word for it went through that enzyme, um, hydrolysis step. Um, so there are some companies that are making hydrolyzed bone broth protein. So they basically make bone broth and then they do that industrial manufacturing step. So they're basically using bone broth instead of gelatin as the starting material. And then they're going through that enzymatic and potentially acid step to break it down so that it stirs into cold water. So if your product uh, says hydrolyzed something, 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 um, Generally, that means it's gone through that enzyme step. Um, and if it says stir into cold water, um, generally that means it's gone through that, that enzymatic step. If you have just the word bone broth protein and it doesn't say bone broth protein, um, it doesn't say hydrolyzed bone broth protein or bone broth protein um, uh, hydrolysis, um, then you've got then you've got something like what my what I've switched to. Um, ideally, you've got one that's as high quality as Paleo Valley's, where they have grass-fed beef bones that go into it, and they do third-party testing, and they don't use any crazy things for um, the dehydration process. Um, but that is the closest to a traditional food source of collagen. It's basically... Uh, think bone broth that has had the water removed to turn it into a powder. Um, and that 
that is going to be the least sort of industrial process. It, it doesn't go through the same kind of multi steps where you have the opportunity to be adding a lot of um, chemicals to the process. I just want to take us back a second. And also, I know you referenced the um, potential for an allergen to be mm -hmm. a good use for marine. But the other one that I actually hear pretty often from people is um, people who are trying to stay kosher. Because yes. if they want to um, add any dairy to their coffee or something like that, then marine what might work. And so the bone broth protein from Paleo Valley is beef, correct? Yes. Okay. Because I know pork does not work for a lot of people either. And I'm like, I don't even know why someone created porcine um, collagen to begin with. But um, it was, so, it was actually know, the original. So the original gelatin, like Knox gelatin was um, porcine. It was a byproduct of um, pig farming. When I was a vegetarian, people always told me it was horse feet. It's like the thing that they tell you, you know, it's like it's always mm -hmm. horse. Like that's the, you know, the myth and the rumors when you're a vegetarian is like, you know. It's made it's of all... puppies. Don't eat it. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay. So what – and we've talked a lot about research that we've done, things um, that we've looked into and all that kind of stuff. What questions – can our listeners ask as they kind of move forward in doing this? Let's, but let's also say you can trust us, but <laughs> as much as you can trust us, I want you to always like question anyone who says that because, you know, you just, anyway, yes, moving right along. <laughs> um, trust us, but don't, don't trust people who say trust us. Trust, um, trust, but verify. There we go. Um, so these these are the questions. As I sort of go through, and and again, you know, um, I highly encourage anybody who's like really concerned about uh, where their collagen is coming from to like send an email to the company and see what kind of responses you get. Um, I have generally been very underwhelmed by FAQ pages lately. So um, these are not necessarily answers um, questions you're going to get answered by just poking around on a on a company's um, website. Um, but these are the ones that I would recommend asking. One, are solvents or other chemicals used to wash the hides or other source materials? And if so, which ones? Um, I think that's one of the major places where the harsh chemicals that will um, trace amounts will be retained through manufacturing can be introduced. The next question, are the hides or other source materials treated with acid or alkaline during any step, and if so, which ones? And again, right, not all, you know, acids and bases are going to be problematic chemicals, um, but I would like to see an answer that's like acetic acid and not one that's like carbonic acid, right? Um, next, if treated with acid or alkaline, what is used to neutralize, right? So so what are you doing to, to render the pH, you know, closer to, to neutral for the rest of the steps? Are carrier molecules or manufacturing aids used in the drying process? And if so, which ones? Um, this is especially relevant for um, gelatin or anything that's sort of spray dried. Is there can be things like maltodextrin. Um, sometimes they're, you know, really 
simple right calcium based molecules can be used but those don't need to be disclosed on a label um, because they're basically such small quantities Um, but there can be again sort of like it's the opportunity to add something that I might I might want to know about because I want to make an informed choice about whether or not I'm going to put that in my body. And then I think this is the final one is, is the product third party tested for contaminants? Um, and I would like to see heavy metal um, contamination tested, but also pesticide residues. And if the answer is like, yes, to any of the previous questions, I'd like to see whether or not the the company tests for residuals from the manufacturing. So if they're using something like hexane uh, as a solvent to to wash hides in those those first steps, I'd like to make sure that they can show me that there's no hexane left in the finished product. So again, right, I, I don't want to to say that all like collagen peptides are bad. You know, they're clearly not, right? There's a, a huge variety in because the market's so big, you've got little tiny factories who, that are doing it right, and then you've got bigger factories that are um, optimizing everything for profit, which means some of these like harsher chemicals are getting starting to get used. Um, and there was like a consumer lab um, test of uh, 14 popular collagen supplements that d- discovered that one had very high levels of cadmium. In that test, they only looked at heavy metal contamination. Um, and so you know, that third party testing to me also is, is a really big thing. And that's one of the reasons why I trust Paleo Valley is that they third party test their finished bone broth protein. Um, and that's just, you know, to me, that's, we've talked about third party testing, uh, approximately a bajillion times on the podcast before. And, um, I just, to me, that's the type of transparency, that I want to see from a company. I want to see that a company is um, making sure that every batch is um, at the same level of quality that they want to be known for. I couldn't get my mute button off fast enough to say yes on the testing. Um, We're going to put a link in the show notes to the consumer lab that did the testing, but it is behind a paywall and it's going to like kill me (laughs) so I'm gonna pay to see those results um but I will say that the brand that I ended up researching and reaching out to um even the owner of the company um went back to validate with his manufacturer on these things right like this is not something like you said Sarah that you're gonna find on the Q&A page. Oh, like I mean, this, most and, companies don't know what's happening in the factories when it comes to this level of detail. And they're sourcing oftentimes ingredients from different places, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so um, we have talked, I don't know if it was just amongst ourselves or on the podcast, uh, who knows anymore, <laughs> um, about being able to find kind of like off label of the same brand that you've been using. And you know what I mean? Like you can find brands that are um, like the TJ's equivalent of something, right? Like (laughs) I'll I'll go completely um, to avoid names of collagen. You can find the Utz dark russet chips that are sold in the grocery store in a TJ's bag for a lot less, Mm -hmm. right? Because they've, it's an off label brand. And so 
you can do that with collagen as well. But the question about that is like, okay, well then that means that that, that source ingredient and that formula is not unique then it's probably not proprietary and safe kept and, you know, clean and all that kind of stuff. And so um, to me, one of the things that, you know, I was really aware of and was looking for were the additives that you find in um, protein powders beyond just collagen as well. Mm -hmm. And then obviously um, collagen, I just wanted like a, just a, plain collagen with nothing else and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I think what is really unfortunate about the way that this has been picked up by mainstream um, is that brands market their thing as clean. And then when I was talking to all of the people, as you mentioned, who were reaching out and asking me, oh my gosh, what are you, what have you switched to now that the brand you used to use is one that you no longer use? And they would tell me what they were using and I would go and check that brand's label and it would be full of additives. So we're not even just talking about the quality of the collagen uh, in and of itself. Then we're talking about the additives that are added to make that, I'm going to call it a protein powder because it's not just collagen anymore. It becomes a protein powder. And so I just want to encourage our listeners to always read your labels. Even if you find one that you like and you, you know, you buy it regularly, every time you have got to check the label. Sarah and I both have been surprised by brands changing their formulas and ingredients of late. Um, there's a, a chocolate brand that I like pointed out to Sarah, changed their formula. And she was like, what? And, and, and because then I was for like, years. that explains why I've had this, you know, symptom for the last week. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. just, it wasn't just how could they, it was like, oh, and I've been consuming it and reacting to it and trying to figure out what's wrong and not having any idea. And you and I both used and loved that thing that that type of chocolate for years, Mm -hmm. you know, and so they, they made a decision and it was disclosed on their ingredient label. I actually also found it in an FAQ on their website on why they changed. But if you're not looking for that, because Uh, the packaging looked the same, it, it, right. Exactly. One little word on the front of the packaging, um, to, to go from, you know, it was like from plant-based to dark chocolate or something like that, right? Like it was just like yeah. one little, I can't remember exactly what it was, but yeah. I was not looking at that level of detail. And I wasn't thinking um, that I needed to read the label every time I bought the same thing that I've been consuming for so long. Yeah. It's just, it, I think we, especially if you've been avoiding certain foods because you react to it for a long time, you you get less careful with reading those labels because you trust yeah. the brands. And I get that. As I said, Sarah and I both are are in that boat. But, um, you know, this is why you have a peer group to say, oh, my gosh, did you see? Yeah. <laughs> right? To tell you. But you also, you know, are have to be diligent and check. And, and one of the things we'll point out is this collagen that we used to use that we now don't. Like, um, the change is marketed on their website as a really good thing. And so even if someone had seen it, 
it didn't occur to that person to ask, well, where is that ingredient sourced from? Because on the label, it would just say, this is being added to your collagen now, but it doesn't say, and that ingredient is sourced from wheat or that ingredient is sourced from soy. And so you don't see wheat or soy on the label, even though it might actually be there. And I I know it's exhausting. I know it's frustrating. We hear you. And that's why we spent months researching for this show and talking to brands and figuring out what we wanted to do. And, you know, I, we say that we're, we're partnering with Paleo Valley on this because not only are we confident and have researched the particular products, but we also know their intent and the decisions that their brand is going to make if in fact there was a change. Right. And that's, I think what's really important is when you're looking at brands like are they committed to a certain type of decision for a reason or would they be likely to change to save a little money and um i think the larger a brand gets the you know the mm-hmm. more um they've got to kind of find ways to cut costs and i you know that's just that's the capitalist market this is not a judgment on anyone it's just you as a consumer if that is not something you want and for me if i'm putting something in my coffee every day to help my health i don't want you know additives like maltodextrin and xanthan gum and um who knows what else <laughs> hyaluronic acid added to it if i don't that's that's not what i'm going for if i consume that that might be a treat. That might be, you know, whatever, something, if I'm aware of where it's coming from, that's not the supplement that I'm putting in my, in my body every day for health purposes. Yeah. So I, um, I think, you know, our, our audience are, um, have a really good knowledge base for going and reading labels. Um, they've probably heard us rail against things like stevia and monk fruit in the past. Um, they're going to understand, um, you know, if it has benzoate or benzoic in the word, it's not going to be cool. Um, hyaluronic acid, as you just mentioned, is often wheat or soy derived. There's also, right, there's the one-stop shop versions of these where it's not just that it's like sweetened with like xylitol and has like silicon dioxide as an anti-caking agent. And right, it has, because the more ingredients you add, the more manufacturing aids often need to be added. So when you get these like all-purpose collagen protein powders that help, you know, flavorings and all these other things, um, you can't just add like a chocolate flavoring and expect it to all hold together. That's why um, the more like schmancy the, the goal is from that company, the more likely there is to be the introduction of you know, emulsifiers, anti-caking agents, preservatives, other manufacturing agents, but there's, um, there's also, you know, the, and we're going to add all these vitamins or adaptogens or, um, other things so that we can make this claim of, right. We've already covered on this podcast that vitamin C and copper and zinc are really important for collagen synthesis. So if we add that to this supplement, Um, And then while we're at it, let's throw in some ashwagandha and some chaga mushroom. And we're going to, you know, like not every ingredient, um, you know, we, we, we love the, the chaga on the show, but like not every ingredient is going to be appropriate for every person. And so uh, when it comes to collagen 
as a supplement, you know, I, I think I really want to emphasize that simple is better. It's more uh, versatile in your home. Um, and also the, you know, the simpler the manufacturing, the simpler the ingredients list, um, the, the, especially when you have that in conjunction with third-party testing, you're going to not only end up with a really versatile product, but you're going to end up with something that is going to have all of those health promoting properties that increasing collagen intake really do provide, um, without having to weigh that against potential detrimental compounds in the exact same supplement. And I would further add that this applies to um, drinks or things that you might purchase mm. pre-made. All the little collagen that, shots and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, that have, quote unquote, you know, collagen added on the label. I guarantee you when you turn that around and read all the ingredients, you're going to see a lot more than that in order to get it suspended and stained in a shelf-stable drink format. Um, and also, you're not going to know the quality of collagen that was used, because I bet you that that is not going to be the highest, cleanest quality if the goal was mass production of a, a shelf-stable grocery store item. So again, it's not to say that it's impossible. There are brands out there doing the right thing, and um, I think we're kind of at the point where we can talk about where Sarah and I are, are each at with that, mm-hmm. but um, it it really kind of will open your eye when you go to the store now to see how many things are going to say collagen added. And for me, I would much rather control. There's also like all these adaptogenic drinks. Like someone sent me um, a label of a drink and they were like, you know, would you drink this? And I'm like, well, adaptogen is not something to mess around with like that could be an intentional hormone disruptor like uh, you know an adaptogen is is something that you are literally adapting your body and so if you're not kind of very aware of or working with a medical professional on something like that it might not have the intended effect that the marketing of that brand is telling you it comes with and so a lot of those kinds of drinks are putting like Sarah said all of these things all into one because it sounds good from a marketing perspective perspective, but we're, we're all about, you know, keeping it simple and helping your body just be the best that it can without trying to sell you on needing to buy like 47 different things to be well. I mean, you can just add collagen, bone broth protein, gelatin to things that as Sarah said are in your home to make yourself, you know, if what you want is like a um, a workout beverage, like you can do that yourself with lemon and you know what I mean? Like make yourself your own kind of, uh, boost of lemonade and, um, or, you know, I've been making kind of like a cold brew smoothie with the Paleo Valley bone breath, bone broth protein. So it's, it, could be kind of like a pre-wad if that's what you want, right? Where there's like some caffeine from the cold brew and then you're you're making yourself a smoothie that has the benefits of um, the bone broth protein. So there's a lot of different ways that you can do that. And I know you're like, oh my gosh, I can't put one more thing on my plate. I get that. And that's why we're going to tell you what, <laughs> what we are each using, but I, I don't want it to be 
oversimplified for people where you're just grabbing everything in the shelf because it's like, oh, this sounds healthy. Oh, this sounds good. And then you actually read the label and you're like, wow, there's more additives in this than I really wanted. Or, you know, if if your goal is health and you're using it as a supplement, do you really want all of the preservatives and anti-caking agents and emulsifiers in that thing that you're taking? That's, that's no longer like a health supplement yeah. for you. You know, My answer to that question is nope. <laughs> okay. I feel like we need a drum roll. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think it's a surprise for anybody to say that, um, we really like Paleo Valley, and that's why we've asked them to sponsor the show. Um, but as I mentioned, I cannot let go of collagen peptides in my coffee. And maybe it'll be something that I try to wean myself off. But what I did do is instead I, I researched, I asked the questions that we talked about earlier Um to the manufacturer of a brand that was the the clean ingredients that didn't have all the additives that we're talking about. So if you are curious, um, Equip Foods is the collagen that I'm using. And unfortunately, Paleo Valley does not have um, a peptide. uh, And that's because their bone broth protein is really the gold standard. So you can try the bone broth protein in your coffee and see if it works for you. For me, I'm just I'm addicted have, okay. to collagen peptides. So I'm gonna I'm going I'm gonna I'm gonna make a I'm gonna make a pitch to you, Stacey, because I was oh. so the the Paleo Valley bone broth protein has very little flavor. Like if you wanted to turn it into a mug full of broth, I mean and you can, um, but you have to add like a ton of salt because the salt is what actually gives it the flavor that's like broth. It is a very neutral flavor. And I was skeptical. Uh, I was totally ready the first morning I was trying it and putting it in my coffee. I was like, well, you know, worst case scenario, I, you know, dump this down the sink and make a fresh cup of coffee. And I was totally prepared for that. And the, the thing that I was super surprised about was that I could not taste it in my coffee at all. Now, because it's not uh, it's not broken down as much as a collagen peptide because it doesn't go through that enzymatic hydrolysis step. Um, it tends to foam more. So my previous, you know, way that I would make coffee would be to make coffee. I add about a teaspoon of ghee and a scoop of, uh, collagen, and then I would put it in the blender and blend it. And then it would go kind of like frothy, like a, like a latte, but not like a cappuccino. Um, now my process is to put in the ghee and blend it and then just stir in the bone broth protein because I don't like the, the huge amount of foam. Um, so, you know, the, the chemistry is a little bit different because they're longer proteins, but the flavor, I was quite surprised that I was like, oh, it doesn't, it doesn't taste different. And the reason for that is because, you know, it, it's collagen dissolved into water. Um, collagen is about a third glycine and glycine is considered a sort of sweet amino acid compared to a bitter amino acid. And it's considered to be an amino acid with very little flavor. And that's, that's why it has such a neutral flavor and can really hide into things. So I'm going to encourage you to, to try it in straight coffee, but just don't, don't blend it. Cause the amount of foam is surprising. You know how earlier you said if this were like a visual format, it would have been easier for you. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
if it were a visual format, you would have seen me literally rubbing my face. I'm just, I hear you. <laughs> and I will try. You challenged me. You know that that's the way to get me to do the anything. Worst case scenario like, is you dump that cup down the sink and you get your old cup again. You just, I know. I'm just stubborn. I'm like an old, you know, I am a redheaded stepchild, right? Mm -hmm. Like that is a literal thing. I'm just <laughs> stubborn, stubborn, stubborn. And I like what I like. Um, but I have branched out. I am using the bone broth protein in smoothies. Like I said, um, like a cold brew, um, morning smoothie is my jam sometimes, although now the weather's getting colder. And so I'm really into like a mug of broth instead of a smoothie. Um, I know you don't like smoothies. Sarah, don't so like I'm smoothies. like assuring you no. it's smoothie season is coming to an end. Um, and just to be clear, smoothies are not the same as juicing. Sarah's just not a fan of smoothies. I just don't like um, them because I, I know, want them to be a milkshake and they're never a milkshake. No, that's, it's, it's not. It's not called a milkshake. It's called a smoothie. That's what I want it to be. I want it to be a milkshake. <laughs> and it's not a milkshake. So it's 100% of the time disappointing. And this is why I don't like smoothies. Okay. All right. Let's just reel it back a little <laughs> bit. Um, but what I would recommend to people, because I I love homemade broth. I love the flavor of it. Like you said, this the salty, unctuous mouthfeel. That is the Matt is second just, time you said unctuous in this podcast. It's that's... It's my it's my word for collagen and broth and powder and stuff. Like I don't know how else to describe what it is. When people are like, "Ew, doesn't that taste bad?" I'm like, "No, honestly, there's no taste. It just feels so good in your mouth." And that's the that is that is the literal word in the American language to describe something that feels good in your mouth. So I don't have another word for it. Okay, got it. Um, <laughs> but I do really like to put the bone broth protein in. A mug of broth because just load me up. And so I am kind of curious um, when I was tracking macros and I was lifting and I was always trying to get um, my protein higher, I would add protein to my um, my count. And, and I'm, now I'm like, does the, does the collagen count? Like when I was counting <laughs> towards my macros, um, was I, I always felt like I was kind of like skirting and I was like, okay, mm -hmm. I'm going to count this, this protein, but maybe that's not actually part of the rules, but I'm not going to ask anybody. Now that I'm not doing that, um, maybe now's the time to ask. To ask. So how much is too much and does it even count anyway? <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, the answer is yes, it counts. So there, there was a really interesting study that sort of did these like iterative calculations using the protein digestibility conditional amino acid score. It's a, it's a long score um, that basically is a measurement of the quality of protein and whether or not you're getting sufficient amino acids in your diet. And collagen actually is an incomplete protein because it doesn't, it basically never includes tryptophan, which is an essential amino acid. So it is considered, uh, even though it's highly digestible, it's because it's an incomplete protein, it gets a digestibility score when it's corrected for amino acids of zero, but that's just because it's lacking in tryptophan. Um, Interestingly, there is a tiny bit of tryptophan in bone broth protein. So uh, bone broth protein wouldn't, wouldn't fare quite so badly. But what they did was they sort of iterated these calculations and basically showed that the amino acids of the entire um, diet 
uh, would meet the human needs if collagen made up uh, as much as 36% of dietary protein. Uh, so that's, that's a lot. Um, so basically you can count collagen as part of your protein up to 30%, 36% or like a little bit over a third of your total protein. Um, that's also for me, one of the advantages to Paleo Valley bone broth protein. Um, when you make homemade bone broth, the amount of like how concentrated the collagen is can vary dramatically from batch to batch. It's very dependent on, uh, what materials you start with, um, and how much, you know, the water to material ratio and then how long you actually simmer it for. Um, I think I mentioned a study earlier that measured, you know, like if you were using like beef marrow bones and simmered it for 72 hours, a cup of broth can have about 20 grams of collagen protein in it. So it's like similar to, um, you know, these, the studies basically mostly use typically between 10 and 20 grams of collagen per day as a supplemental amount. So, um, if you're going to do this with homemade bone broth, that top quality bone broth, about a cup of broth would be about the amount. But what was really interesting about that study, and again, we'll put links in the show notes and there's links and more, even more science in my article that I've written about this on my website. Um, but the, it, it, a homemade bone broth can be as little as like 10% of that, which means you'd have to drink 10 cups of broth instead of one cup of broth to get that same 20 grams of, of collagen. And it pretty much varies wildly. So for me, this is another advantage to Paleo Valley bone broth protein is that it is standardized. Um, and so, you know, I can take, you know, um, I, you know, about, I, I can add a couple of scoops. I can add it to my, my, um, my broth. So if I'm making super stew, it's very, I'm very typically will grab a little bit of Paleo Valley bone broth protein to make it a richer broth. Um, I don't need to necessarily think about is, is this batch of broth adequate to be meeting my needs for a supplemental dose, a 20 gram daily minimum dose of, of collagen. Um, and, uh, and at the same time, you know, by the time I put a scoop in my coffee in the morning, then I'm definitely hitting that, that goal. So, um, so I think that's, you know, that's the other advantage, um, besides the fact that not everybody likes making their home, own homemade broth, not everybody likes the smell of it. Um, so this bypasses all of that inconvenience and it basically, um, you know, for me, I, I do both, right? So I make homemade broth and then I also do Pillow Valley um, bone broth protein. Um, again, you know, 36%, if you're aiming for 150 grams of protein a day, you can get 50 grams of your protein from collagen. Like that's three scoops of, of Paleo Valley bone broth protein. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's actually like, it, that's, that's a lot. We can, we can, we can weigh, we can weigh collagen it for sure. <laughs> I'm all in. Give me all the collagen. Um, no, it's the same. It's the same thing with us. Not just that we don't want to make our broth, just sometimes we don't have it on hand. Yeah. And so we do purchase like store-bought broth that we sometimes like cook with. And I don't like to drink mugs of it because it doesn't taste good. But, and the reason that it doesn't taste good is, is it's because not of the mouthfeel. Yes. I was I'm like, oh, I'm going to be shamed into saying the word again. No. Um, it doesn't have the same mouthfeel, but you can add the uh, bone broth protein powder and it does 
more resemble what homemade would feel like or taste like for us, right? It's got that more of the collagen um, being suspended in the liquid, which is what gives that word that I'm not going to say. The unctuity? I also want to just, I'm just going to change the subject because of how I'm feeling. I also want to say that Paleo Valley makes a lot more than just this bone broth powder. Um, I am super, super big fan of their beef sticks. Um, They're legit. Like the kids ate them in about five seconds and then asked me if I was going to order more. So... (laughs) If you're going to go grab the powder, make sure that you're also going to grab some of their beef sticks. Um, their turkey sticks and I know- are AIP too. Um, and they've got two flavors. They've got like original turkey and turkey and cranberry. Um, and Oh, turkey and cranberry. Ooh, you need to try them. You need to try them. I do. It's like Thanksgiving dinner in stick form. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, they're and they're AIP. So like also super awesome. Plus... Um, they're, they've been doing some really neat things on, uh, the supplement side. They have an encapsulated organ meat that has liver, heart, and kidney. Um, so you're getting your diversity of organ meat from a supplement. So no, like it, listeners, when you go to paleovalley.com slash whole view, where you can automatically save 15%, um, off your order or, just use the coupon code the whole view 15. See how I did that? That was pretty cool, right? Um, make sure you make sure I'm proud of you. Usually it's me pulling yeah, that off. Was, so good job. High five. Thanks, man. Um, but no, listeners, make sure that you you poke around because um Paleo Valley's got some pretty cool stuff. And I want to thank them for sponsoring the show. I want to thank you for making it through. It's probably the next day, week, month for you by the time you got to the end of this podcast. And we appreciate you still being here. We did warn you it was going to be big. And we've also uh, tried to tell you why it was taking so long. And hopefully you understand. We take sharing information with you so very, very seriously. And we hope that you know that we are open and honest here, but you will hear even more about our honesty and the truth about what we feel about all this over on our Patreon. If you're not yet part of our Patreon fam, um, it's a just a way to support us on the show, but also to get good information beyond what you're getting here. Um, and we've, we've been getting some really good feedback lately, maybe on a show that isn't like 47 hours. We'll share some of that with you. But I'm super happy to hear that the Patreon listeners are also feeling like they're getting something out of being able to support us, which is such a win-win situation. So if you're not yet over there, it might be a good time to pop over and hear how we really feel over on the Whole View Patreon. If you just Google that, um, it'll come up or we'll put a link in the show notes for you. Thanks for listening and we'll be back next week. Do you love the Whole View podcast? We'd love for you to leave us a review wherever you listen and share a podcast with your friends and family. And did you know that you can now get exclusive behind the scenes content on Patreon for less than the price of an almond milk matcha a month? Your Patreon membership supports us and gets you access to a monthly bonus episode. But not for kids' ears, because our bonus content is explicit. You can find us as The Whole View on Patreon for our real, unfiltered thoughts on this week's episode. Seeking the truth never gets old. 
Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.